Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare, and I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello there, friends. Welcome back. You know, before we start the show, I had a a favor to ask. I'm really looking to get a few more reviews on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to me if you took the time to leave a five-star rating, a four-star rating, or a one-star rating. I won't like you, but you have the right to do that. In any case, it means a lot to hear what you have to say about the show. We do our best to provide the most interesting guests and the most comically 80s-laden conversations as possible. On the show today, I'm going to welcome someone very different, very special. Karen Haberberg is a New York-based photographer and the author of several books, including one called An Ordinary Day, Kids with Rare Genetic Conditions. She learned how to shoot when she was 12. Her dad was a photographer, and she was quickly drawn to the storytelling and the art of images through the rare disease communities. We talk a lot about what her emotions are like when she builds compositions of images, when she goes on site and shoots children that are ill, how she represents humanity and dignity and not pity in those images. Her photos have been showcased like all over the place, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Daily News, HuffPost. She's been on ABC, Good Morning America, New York One. And of course, no show would be incomplete without channeling our genexness dropping our film off at Photomat, waiting a week and hoping we shot decent photos instead of just, oh, that didn't come out right. Delete. New photo, iPhone. We've come so far, and yet the still image is the most evocative, representative way to showcase humanity through illness. Enjoy the show. Karen Haberberg. That's alliterative. <laughs> did you inherit that? I did. Was that an upgrade? And I didn't give it up. <laughs> no, I'm surprised. That's the Haberberg. It's got personality. What was your maiden name? That is my maiden name. Whoa, you kept it. I literally didn't give it up. So your husband didn't also just happen to be Haberberg? No, he did not. That'd be ironic. That would be. My parents had friends from like the 70s. Their their last names were, were both Schindler. Oh, gosh. And they met and got married and they kept Schindler. How convenient. Totally convenient. Don't change the towels. And they're probably do-gooders. Oh, they're good people. (laughs) Yeah. They're really good people. How do you think I reacted to the following question my daughter asked me a couple of weeks ago? And she's 12. The listeners. Oh, she's 12. Okay. Daddy, 
How did you take pictures when you were growing up without phones? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a it's a it's a fair question. Right. It's sort of like how did we make a phone call with a, what was a dial tone, right? A what? I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My kids picked up a phone once and was like, "What's that noise it's making?" Right. So, yeah, she's she's definitely got a point. Unfortunately, that a lot of the world feels that way. Yep. Um I I obviously do not. In fact, today walking over here, I saw some cool umbrellas randomly hanging That's in a window. That's street art in real time. Exactly. And I was sorry that I only had my phone and not my camera because right. I just don't think it does it justice. Well, part of what I think we can talk about today is the fact that you can actually have a camera that isn't a phone. Yes. Yes, if that's what we should you know, I should rethink this interview. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing with two devices? You know, I brought my camera here today, just walking around. So that's pretty cool. I get it. Also, another observation my, my son made, we were watching, I think, All in the Family, probably inappropriately All in the Family, but we wanted to watch these things. Love it. And Carol O'Connor like slammed a phone down in some angry thing. And my son went, what? You can't really do that with an iPhone, can you? So, man, do I wish I could slam an iPhone down. That's so great. What That's a great so observation. Great. Yes, totally. Totally amazing observation. We should have brought him. He's been on the show. Oh, yeah? Cool. He and his sister have been on the show. They're going to come back soon because it was like the most listened to episode of my show last year. That's awesome. So you have kids? I do. I do. How old are they? I have a 15-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. So we're on the same age. I saw you graduated in the 90s with me. We're mm -hmm. sort of Clinton graduates. <laughs> If you would. I loved him. I love really time. channeling nostalgia on, on the show, especially, you know, we can dig into your, your career as a photographer. My dad had a like a Minolta he uh -huh. carried around with him in the 70s. You know, we did the Clark Griswold, you know, uh, station wagon vacation across the country as, as ob obligated as Jewish people from New York City to do. That's amazing. And he brought this Minolta in like a leather sack with all these lenses. And he taught me. He had a development studio in the basement of our house with the red light. A dark room, uh, yeah. Thank you. That's the word. Yep. So did you have a dark room? I did not. I've had access to a dark room for a long time until, I don't know, maybe like five, ten years ago. And they're really hard to find. But I have a lot of the equipment in my storage unit. Yeah, they probably weren't very healthy for you to breathe those things in all the time. Probably not, but I still would love to take my kids to check it out. When the image comes up, it's just amazing. Oh, it really me. is. It's like it really magic. Is. I mean, people listening to the show are generally around my age, like millennials, jaxers, uh, some boomers. We can appreciate Photomat. <laughs> totally. Right? Like Robin Williams' one-hour photo hasn't aged well by today's standards. My, my daughter recently bought one of those disposable the cameras, but the ones with the film. They still make those? They do. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the little cubes, the flash cubes? Mm-hmm. You have to buy I'm out of flash cubes. I can't shoot anything at night. Remember when you had to shoot a whole roll of film and like get it out of your camera because it was for daylight, but it was dark out? That's right. Now you have ISO. I need like 800 instead of 400. Exactly. Damn me. <laughs> Curse you, Kodak. Exactly. Rip Kodak, by the way. So what got you into photography? We're going to talk about your work in uh, shooting I guess uh, a, a snapshot of history in healthcare and human beings in those stories. But what got you into this? Uh, when I was 12 or 13, my uncle, who was a photographer, gave me a manual camera, a Nikon. 
And I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, but he was already a photographer. He was. Okay. I definitely was not. I didn't even understand what he was talking about with the F-stops and the shutter speeds. Right. And finally it sunk in and uh, I just, I loved it. I loved it. Were you that annoying eighth grader that like walked around school taking pictures of people without their permission? When that I was, was okay to do? the annoying 10th grader who did that. Ah, okay. <laughs> I had a camcorder in high school because my dad taught what was AV back oh, nice. then. So I went around school every now and then with this giant thing on my shoulder, just shooting people like, you know, who, video waivers, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. So what was the reaction? Like, what was the dopamine hit that you got from learning how to take these pictures? That's a good question. I mean, now it's different than then, but it changes over time, I think, what's important to me. So now, can I talk about now or I have to talk about then? Well, I guess I should just lean into one more question here, which is, do you still have those photos? And if so, was Aquanet the sponsor? <laughs> okay, so truth be told, I just had all of it scanned. I spent like several thousand dollars to have all my negatives scanned, thinking I was going to find some brilliant photos. Right. And I didn't. <laughs> um, what I did you find- You were in 10th grade though. What I did find is really great family memories. So yeah. I got some great shots of my parents that are just beautiful, but nothing I'm looking to put on my website and sell or anything. Do you think we've lost the art of film? Is that a fair question in 2022? You know, now people are kind of trying to also make their photos look like they were shot on film. Right. And frankly, I mean, the digital era in photography has been helpful in a different way because there's so much ability to retouch and fix and things like that. But yeah, I do think an art form has been lost. When was your first DSLR? And was that like a, did you give in? In the 90s, I think. Oh, because wow, okay. my clients were like, I don't want to pay for this film crap. You know, I want it immediately and I want to email it to my friend. And so right. I kind of had no choice in terms of professionally to switch. Makes sense. Also, another like 80s throwback is remember back in the days when you took a picture and just hoped it was a good photo? Yes. And you had to wait to get the pictures from I Kmart? Had to, I had to take notes sometimes. Yeah. Like these were my settings and mm -hmm. now I'm going to try this because right. I wouldn't want that white to not be white enough. Right. <laughs> it's like we just take so much for granted today in terms of, oh, that was a bad picture. Delete. Take a new one. Totally. But the problem is that everyone thinks they're a photographer now. Yeah. And they're not. No. Well, that's actually, that's a good question because I'm a concert pianist and I always look at music in a very different way mm -hmm. than other people do. And I, I assess performances and I analyze the way people interpret music and th their choice of interpretation and styling and how they perform. Do you feel that sense without being like erudite about it? But like, do you often see yourself through the haha <laughs> lens <laughs> of a photographer? Good one. Yes. <laughs> Never heard that one. <laughs> Never, ever, ever heard that one before. Um, yes. I mean, if someone asks me, oh, is this a good picture? I'll give them a constructive answer. I also teach photography, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very used to seeing a lot of a range of images. I love looking at images of all kinds. But yeah, I can be judgy in my own head about what they could have done differently or, you know, even professionals. There are things that I think like, oh, you know, that could have been a little better. That uh, that rule of thirds was kind of a rule of fourths. <laughs> but to be fair, sometimes I see photos, obviously, of photographers, and I'm like, I wish I took that picture. Right. You know, there's some beautiful stuff out there. So flashing forward to today, you are, I think I was reading on your site, portraiture and the documentation of the human condition. Wow. 
I did read that off the paper. That sounds I'm good. Cheating. Yeah. You must be doing something right with all those syllables. Those words. Lots of syllables. How many human conditions are there? A lot. There's way too many human conditions. More than I'm going to be able to cover. Well, where did you settle? Like when you first realized I can capture stories through images beyond just taking pictures of my friends with Aquanet in high school, uh, which good is question. still valuable. I really enjoyed photographing people. One of my first projects, I was I was pretty young at the time. I did a documentary kind of photo thing on a young man who uh, was deaf and mute and blind and worked on a farm in Queens. And I shot it in black and white slide film. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I love this. I love learning about this guy and his family and what he does and seeing how he's like this productive member of society. And I was like, this is great. I had a first career in something else while I was doing photography on the side and wasn't brave enough to make the leap at the time. But I remember that being the moment I was like, I'd love to be a photographer. How do you interpret what your vision is for the composition of that shot if you're meeting for the first time a young man who's blind, deaf, and mute? You know, so much to me is dictated by the light and the environment that that's the first thing I have to look at, to be honest, because I want it to be really beautiful. And especially because he can't see, you know, I wanted that project to feel kind of dramatic and the light was really important. I mean, imagery of illness, I don't know if that's considered an illness or a disease or just a disability at this point, but the first impression of that image, I haven't seen it for the listeners. Uh, again, it's radio too, so we can't show it to you, but we'll give you her website uh, at the end of the show. You're not going to presume that he is a disabled child unless you are able to convey that somehow through the image. True. True. How do I you mean, accomplish that? I think it is, at least in that particular work. It's conveyed by a lot of what he goes through and how he communicates with the world around him. So it's it's uh, how he touches things and holds things and how he looks off into space and, and things like that. Yeah, more of a gallery of experience of images. Yeah, about how he uses also his just other senses differently in a way. Did it shock you to feel the privilege, maybe the terrible privilege of being able to capture that story through images? I have to say, I am privileged pretty much every time I go out and shoot something like that. Or even just, even businessmen, you sit with them, they have stories. You know, everyone has a story to tell. And I feel like it's my job to, to get that from them. And, and I love learning about people. And not to perseverate on this particular study, but I'm, I'm fascinated to take a photo of a young man with these conditions. What was the reaction from people who saw the images or even the family? I'm sure you got to show them the sure. product of the shoot. Some of the images are, are moving and dark. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like some of it's dark. Like it's a lonely place, I think, probably for him to be sometimes. And I do think some of the images, you know, showed that off. You know, moms tend to like the happy-go-lucky ones. So those are the ones I enlarged for her, of you course, know. Yeah. So um, her, you know, walking around or kind of jogging-ish through the field sure. and smelling the plants and things like that. But I try and offer a balance of on all my projects in terms of both sides where it's authentic. All right, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Karen. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, I want to go into, as a cancer survivor myself, this notion of sick people in pictures and my impression, because I was in pediatrics, I was older, I was 21, but in pediatrics. And there's this, I think this cultural expectation that images of sick people are meant to make you feel guilty mm-hmm. and vulnerable and philanthropic. And I don't like that. It, it makes me uncomfortable that the sick, dying, bald kids are the impression people want to get from a hospital versus the thriving stories of children who are championing their disease and the families that are celebrating the life that these children regrettably have to live through. You've been photographing in that type of space for quite a while now. Was this something you had to reconcile or was new to you or was brought up to you? I had to reconcile it from my first book, which is An Ordinary Day Kids with rare genetic diseases, because I wanted to not make a book that was just about showing their struggles, right? Which often are interesting photographs. So I had to balance that in my mind with really giving a full sense of the person. So you have those joyous moments and those moments of triumph like you described, and then you obviously have moments that they're struggling because that's legitimate and they are. But I do think there's a balance that's hard to reach. And I also think some of it also depends on the photographer in terms of how they're connecting with the subjects and just being sensitive to where these kids or adults or whoever are at is really important when I'm shooting. Yeah, it's a slippery slope between pity and joy. Yeah, and there's a slippery slope also between taking more stereotype kind of photo and something where you feel like you're almost using the subject, like you said, which I don't adhere to. I know you should never read the comments, but I took the liberty of looking at your ratings of the book on Amazon. I've never looked. You have like 35 five-star ratings. Oh, wow. That's great. I mean, who would dare say 
bad shit about a book about <laughs> about this. But in all seriousness, I want to read one just to, to hear your okay. reaction. Sure. These inspiring stories and photographs capture humanity at its best. The beauty and genius in every child and the unconditional love and dedication of their families is a reminder to take nothing for granted and to find meaningful ways to include children and families who may feel isolated. I love that. Thanks, whoever wrote that. You did some good. <laughs> like a misvote. Oh, to write the I book. hope so. I hope so. What got you into wanting to write that book? I had a brother who died of a rare disease before I was born. He died from Tay-Sachs. And my mom and dad were always really invested in raising money and, and doing things for the Tay-Sachs organization as I was, when I was growing up. And I also know to this day how traumatized they are from that experience of losing a child. And I wanted to give back in some way. And then more recently, my best friend in the world had a child has a child with a rare disease called Angelman syndrome. And I just kept thinking like, what can I do to show how isolated people can feel and how challenging it is for these families? So I did, I just did on spec, like one shoot through the Tay-Sachs Foundation of a family. And I mean, I was there for 10 minutes and I was like, I have to do a book on different rare diseases. I know there's no way to kind of pick your favorite child, but does any one particular experience in the last couple of years for you stand out? Oh, gosh, there's so many. It is like picking your favorite child. My friend whose son has Angelman, obviously, I'm super close to, so I know the days in and days out of it for her. But each family really did provide a different perspective, and I just felt so much for them. And actually, similar to what the person just wrote in that review, when I went home, I felt really privileged to have been allowed into their world and also grateful for the perspective that it gave me. You know, I'd go home and hug my kids and kiss them and just thank God. Yeah, one of the more, I would say, inspiring messages I got was from a colleague who was an, an actress and she played a cancer patient on a TV show that I was a scriptwriter for. Oh, cool. And to get into character, she hung out with cancer patients like day in and day out for months at a time, but she got to turn the cancer off when she went home yeah. and had tremendous guilt for the privilege of portraying them. Do you have that emotional connection to these individuals, these children, and then you go home and you can't really turn that off? Absolutely. I feel like I have 27, there's 27 kids in my book. I feel like I have 27 more people to worry about on a regular basis. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because you're allowed into a very vulnerable space and, uh, the struggle and even the beautiful moments, it's its meaningful. And I just, I definitely feel that way. I mean, your photos have been pretty much everywhere. You've been exposed. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh-oh. Your exposures have been exposed, but you've been all over the media. I'm reading here the Times, the Journal, the mm -hmm. Daily News, Huffington Post, Time at New York, the Daily Mail, Cosmo. Cosmo. Woohoo. Was that some kind of celebrity fashion shoot on rare disease? Just say, just say yes. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Miranda Priestly, yeah, with Tay Sachs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, in, in choosing to do this, I mean, you also mentioned you've written other books too. Are they similar or you've branched out beyond the storytelling of the first book? Uh, my second book is on um, epilepsy, kids and adults with epilepsy. So that's pretty different. My first book's more like an editorial style where I went to people's homes. My second book was done actually at a convention and I shot the whole thing in like three days. That's incredible. Does this become a book? Does this become a gallery exhibit? 
How are these shown? It's a book. It's a book. I mean, you mentioned it was a book. I shouldn't ask that question. No, that's totally fine. It's a book. There's like the it's brain damage just showing right up there on the show. <laughs> it's still a book. It's much more text heavy. That's what this organization wanted. Right. Um, and things like that. You write your own copy? In my first book, I did. In my second book, I didn't. Is it tough to reconcile what someone else writes about your photos or was it a collaboration? It's much more of a collaboration and they're more telling the author in the second book, at least is, is more telling the story of that was relayed to them. So it's, we're trying to really keep the same words of the people interviewed and try and, you know, pull out the important parts. So you're from Tay-Sachs to epilepsy. I don't even want to know what the third book was about. Well, the first book, to be fair, wasn't just uh, Tay-Sachs. It's okay. 27 rare diseases. Okay. Um, a whole panoply. Uh, yes. A smorgasbord. Unfortunately, there's like 7,000. So are. it's, yeah. you know. So you've worked with one of our partners, Global Genes. Yes, I did. What I love like? working with them. They're great. They're amazing. Great organization. Um, actually, they got the word out a lot about getting me people for my book because they cover different rare diseases and they're, you know, a lot of organizations are focused on one, you know, or an area. So what I love about them is they're kind of broad mm -hmm. and I didn't want to feature just one particular type of disease or condition. Did anyone feel pandered to by being kind of like trotted on stage, rhetorically speaking, for a photo shoot or everyone embraced the opportunity to tell their story through image? Everyone who contacted me embraced it, in my opinion, and were incredibly accommodating. They wanted to tell their story. I was very careful. I didn't want to push them anywhere out of their comfort zone in, in, in terms of what they were showing and, and things like that, because I knew that it would be, you know, shown across the world or whatever. So I thought they were amazing. They allowed me into their homes. I mean, I traveled across the country. It was great. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> That little thing. Yes, pre-pandemic. Hard to take photos during a pandemic, I'm sure. I know. I was fortunately hired by a big pharma company to take photos during the pandemic, which which saved me. <laughs> what did you shoot? This is important. I actually shot people in their homes working from home, like and like diversity for a diversity and inclusion kind of project. You should have led with that's fantastic. Why thank you. Lead with that. Okay. Let's we'll do that again. Your LinkedIn. <laughs> I swear, I know. That's powerful. It was amazing. What were those images like? Can we find them somewhere? Are they on your homepage? Yeah, we can find them somewhere. Sure. Find them somewhere. <laughs> um, I have stuff on my website in my lifestyle section. I think. Yeah, we'll put a link. And it's KarenHaberberg.com, not that org. Can you spell it Karen, without looking at the paper? No. <laughs> Karen with a K. Haberberg, very alliterative. Um, H-A-B-E-R-B-E-R-G, not B-U-R-G. Perfect. Karen. Anyway, the link will be in the episode description. <laughs> okay, Let's great. click on it. But all right. So to the up and coming photographers of today who know not of the tragedy of stop and wash and red lights and <laughs> photobat <laughs> film, what's the advice you would give to those looking to get into photography? Keep shooting all the time. Have your camera with you, not your phone, your camera with you mm -hmm. all the time. And you will ultimately get great stuff, especially if you live in New York City or, you know, or some beautiful landscape area or, you know, you can find something wherever you go. Oh, I forgot to mention, you, you said there was a third book. Yes, there's a third book. The third book is going to be on. Oh, it's in the works. It is. It's a secret. Don't tell anyone. Can I tell them? You can tell them. 
Okay. This isn't airing until 2027 anyway. Okay, perfect. It's on people who have gout. Do you know what that is? It's often dismissed, but it's a pretty serious condition, isn't it? It's really debilitating. It's really debilitating. It's an excess of uric acid in your body, for Mm -hmm. those of you that don't know, and often lands in your foot or your joints. And there's some preconceived notions of who gets it. You know, people used to associate it, I guess, which king had it? One of the kings, Edward or Henry or whatever. But basically, people associate it with heavyset men who are pretty well off, who drink a lot of wine and eat a lot of steak. Um, But that's not actually accurate. Every man. Certainly in New York. Every American man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's not really the case. And uh, we're trying to kind of show what it does to you, even if you can't see it and what's going on in your body and, and how it can affect you. That's another really important takeaway here is this idea of invisible illness. I agree. Which is the rare disease universe writ large. I mean, even the cancer space, a lot of chemotherapy mm-hmm. make you lose your hair. Right. But you look great. <laughs> yeah. How do you reconcile that in the creative process of shooting where someone may look perfectly healthy, but deep down inside they are in wretched agony every day? from a photographer's standpoint, is definitely a challenge. Like it's harder, you know, and you have to kind of uh, conceptualize each disease condition, you know, whatever you want to refer to it as differently when you can't visibly see it. So you have to sort of also photograph, but how it affects them, what does it hold them back from or what's actually going on in their body? You know, they could hold up a x-ray and you know that's color coded with where the disease is or you know you really have to brainstorm what that looks like for them in their in their lifestyle i recall a couple of years ago there's a pharma company named lily eli lily they had a program every year very authentic program i mean you can have your own opinions on pharma it's called oncology on canvas mm-hmm. and it sounds like an art project but really is as a, as a photo project they gave cameras to cancer patients who are not professional photographers or maybe even some might have been and they asked them to take pictures of what it was like for them on their journey and then they had a like a traveling gallery of these framed images nearly all of them were black and white i don't know they just gave them black and white film or whatever but it was an astonishing tale in when someone who isn't a photographer takes images that they're representative of. Have you experienced the art of other patients and seeing what they're capable of expressing and then maybe shooting their art? I've seen only, or mostly I should say, photographers who are photographing their own experience maybe or their father's experience, you know, going through things. I don't think I've seen what you're referring to, no. It's really interesting. I mean, again, my dad was a photographer. I'm, I'm not even remotely a photographer, but just the appreciation for being an artist first and interpreting life is very different than you being someone interpreting your own life Absolutely. when you're not a photographer. I, I think it also really does speak to how sharing your story, which is what this does, whether it's me sharing my story mm-hmm. or you sharing other stories, So across the years of your storied career, you've been, there's accolades and acclaim and and your work speaks for itself. Again, the link will be in the episode description. Without, again, without picking your favorite kid, what has been maybe an emotional takeaway for you in meeting these communities and telling these stories through, through image? 
I would say the there's a few things. One, which I kind of touched on before, is just the concept of perspective. Uh, one of the people in my book was the mom was talking about her son, and you know she was so excited because he learned to sort things, which was like a really big deal for him. And I guess she had called her friend and said, oh, well, you know, he learned to sort today. And and she's like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. You know, my kid just does that. And I think that that attitude and that perception is so disappointing. And I think we all have it. We all have really high expectations of our kids and we don't always celebrate the little things. And um, that's what this book definitely taught me. Just don't think take things for granted and, you know, celebrate the small stuff too. Yeah, I mentioned the terrible privilege, right? That we carry inside us. All right, last question. Who are your photography luminary heroes that shape the way you think, you compose, and you create? I think Steve McCurry is brilliant in his work. I think the way that he uses light and his portraits are just, one is just more beautiful than the next. I mean, absolutely, absolutely stunning. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I don't just do portrait photography. I do a lot of like night photography and landscape stuff. So I look at that as well. But I think that my respect is really for people who are photographing these kind of challenging situations. And, you know, I'm not saying it needs to be in the healthcare area. It could be at war. It could be, you right. know, there's lots of different all sorts things. of stories. Yeah. I really appreciate your choosing to tell these stories Thank you. of these patients and their families, because, you know, there's never enough advocacy for who we are as a community. And, you know, like together, our voices and our images are stronger. Agreed. Karen Haberberg, thank you so much for coming on the show. NYC-based photographer. I'm going to read this again because it's just so mellifluous. Focused on portraiture and the documentation of the human condition. Author, speaker, presenter, extraordinary talent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.